this Lord who is king, he says in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The Lord who is king, the one who is omnipotent, he sends this message of comfort in troubling times to us. Comfort in troubling times. And the words have come from left, right, and center, haven't they? We live in unprecedented times, we hear, or we're told they are uncertain times, strange times, we hear sometimes, unforeseen, unexpected, unpredictable, untested, uncharted territory, difficult times, troubling times. You can think of all the other words. But we've heard them all, haven't we? To describe those times that we live in. And in addition to that, for us as a congregation, as a church, we, we've had to deal with bereavements, haven't we? We've had to be there with the Osulos, with the Sambos. We've had to be there, indeed, for those who've lost relatives, the Nazis, for example, the Messenders, who've lost loved ones as well. And again, we know of family, friends, and others who have lost loved ones. We've been touched in various ways. Now, like the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were troubled because of the coming death of our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has told them that he will be crucified. He will be killed. That he will be taken by evil hands. And that he will be put to death. And so they were troubled. They were mourning even before his death, as it were. And the Lord says to them, as he says to us even now, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he gives them reasons why their hearts should not be troubled. We're going to look at these reasons together. He says, as he comforts them in troubling times, he says, first of all, trust Christ. Trust in me. That's what the Lord says. And then secondly, he says, many mansions. There are many mansions, say go. And then thirdly, he says, there are mansions for you. There is a mansion for you, if you're a true believer. So I want us to consider trust in Christ, many mansions, mansion for you. So as we look at trust in Christ, the Lord says in verse 1, Heaven said, let not your hearts be troubled. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. And what he is saying there is, continue to believe in me. For he is talking to his disciples, those who have believed in him already, those who are his disciplined followers. He is saying to them, continue to believe in me. The Lord is saying essentially to them, go, you are troubled, and you will have more trouble. You will face many more trouble in time to come. You must continue to trust in me. That is what you must do. Your focus must be on me and not on the trouble. Another thing that will trouble your heart. Keep looking to me. Keep trusting in me, our Lord Jesus Christ says 
to his disciples, even in these difficult and trying times. And he's speaking as God the Son, remember. He is the Son of God. And for that, there's every reason why we must trust in him all the more. He is God the Son. And he is speaking as the omnipotent one, the all-powerful one. We know that. That's how he is speaking at this time. But for the disciples, for the disciples at this point in time, the trouble was he said he was going away. He was going to be killed. He was going to be taken away from them. So how could he go away from them and still be there for them? He's been there always for them since the beginning of his earthly ministry. So they've had him. They've had recourse all the time to look to him. Whenever there was trouble, they didn't need to look far. He was there. And they called on him. And he dealt with the situation. Now he's going away. So how can he be going away and say, yeah, I'll still be with you. I'll still be there with you. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to them. But then the Lord Jesus Christ then looks at them and he says to them at this point in time, look, you trust in the invisible God. You trust in the true and the living God. Trust in me also. Put the same trust. Continue to trust in me in the same way as you trust the invisible God. I will go away. I will no longer be visible to you. But remember who I am. I am the Lord of glory. I am God the Son. By my going away, I am not taken away from you. And by the way, I'm going away for a good purpose. My going away is ultimately for your good. This is what the Lord says to them. The purpose I'm, for which I'm going away will be accomplished. And when it is accomplished, I will come again visibly to you. And then I will take you and we'll be together never to be parted anymore. But even while away, remember who I am. I am the son of the invisible God. So even away from you, I will be with you. Just as God, the invisible one, is with you. And you know that. In the same manner, I will be with you. I will never really leave you, nor forsake you. I will be there. But there is a purpose for which I'm going. And when that is accomplished, I will come again. You will see me again, visibly. And then we'll be together. And we'll never be parted again. I don't need to be visibly present to comfort you or to strengthen you because I am God. I am the Son of God. Look at what he says to them in verse 18 of the same John chapter 14. In verse 18 he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. You are not going to be like orphans. I will come to you and I will be with you. In chapter 20 of the same gospel of John, and there in verse 29 of John chapter 20, again, our Lord Jesus Christ says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. They've not seen me physically, visibly, but they have known my presence in a way that is beyond description, and they have come to faith in me, the present God. 
where I am present with my people. If you look at Hebrews, and there in chapter 13 of Hebrews, again, we can compare what we have there written by the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 5, where he says, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you, no, forsake you. It may be taken away from you, maybe away from us, but remember, he has said, and he is a man of his word. He has said, I will never leave you, no, forsake you. The apostle Peter writing again to the church, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and there in verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Not seeing him physically, but you have seen him by the eye of faith. For you have known and felt and experienced his presence and his working in your life by the power of his spirit. You have known his presence, even though you have not seen him physically. So the Lord says, this is what you must remember. The disciples, if you like, at this point needed to be reminded of Psalm 56. And there in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 56, where the psalmist writes very simply and clearly. He says, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. And we need to be reminded of that as well. We need to say with the psalmist, as he says here, whenever I am afraid, whenever you are afraid, whenever we are afraid, whenever we are afraid, we will trust in the Lord. Physically aware he may be, spiritually present we know he is and we know he hears and he answers and he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine for he is the almighty god and there is none like him that we must remember john owen says a sense of god's presence in love is sufficient to rebuke all anxiety and fears and not only so but to give in the midst of them, that is in the midst of anxieties and fears, it is able to give solid consolation and joy. A sense of the presence of God. It's able to remove any sense of anxiety or fear and give us solid consolation and joy. And John Owen makes a reference to Psalm 46, and he refers there to the first three verses of Psalm 46. And Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. We will not be moved. We will not be afraid, for we have the unmovable, unshakable God who is on our side. 
This is what our Lord says. Trust me. Trust Christ. Secondly, many mansions. In verse 2, speaking to his disciples, the Lord Jesus Christ says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And my Father's house, as you know, refers to heaven. At times in scripture, it is described as a place of rest. It is where the redeemed are free from sin and they are free from the power of Satan. That is my father's house, heaven. He says there are many mansions. Literally, that means there are many dwellings. The Lord says there are many dwellings in my father's house. And that's a picture of the rooms that a father adds to his house, to his massive house. And perhaps if you're an African and you have that African understanding, you know the, the picture that is being painted here in scripture. The picture is that of a father in his big house, magnificent home, and there he builds additional rooms, especially for his sons, so that as they marry and as they build their own families, there are rooms and there are more rooms. And so that the family house continues to expand and expand and is built. This is the picture that is being painted for us here in this portion of scripture. There are many rooms, many mansions, many dwellings, says our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the picture that we have. This addition of rooms, as it were, in the family home. There the family extending, being built up, as it were. And what we have here is the picture of heaven's intimacy. The intimacy that there is in heaven, where, as Revelation, we read in Revelation 21, 3, the tabernacle of God is with them, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them. This is the picture that we have. God tabernacle in the midst of his people and all his people around him as it were, praising, worshiping, adoring in that glorious spiritual intimacy that we can only imagine on this side of eternity. But this is the picture that the Lord Jesus Christ is painting for us here. There is an intimacy that is beyond what we can even imagine on this side of eternity. And when that time comes, he says, there with the Father, as the unit, as the magnet, if you like, that brings every believer around him. There we will be together, united, and in unison, praising and adoring our glorious God and the God of our salvation. You see, when a weary and a tired traveler is returning home, he's coming back from a long journey. Perhaps he's been busy working hard to earn a living, a way of maintaining his family. He is coming, he is returning, he is tired. And what is it that kept him going? He thinks of his family. His family is there. And he thinks of the comfort that he will enjoy when he comes, embraces his wife, his family, his children, and all the members of the family. What a joyous thing. And he keeps looking forward to that. And that keeps him going. That keeps him hoping. That keeps him patient, working, going with this great expectation of this wonderful reunion that he will have with his family when he gets home. The Lord Jesus says here to his disciples, 
Your citizenship essentially is in heaven. You are but pilgrims here on earth. Your father has many rooms there for you. I go as it were to prepare those rooms for you. Now look to those rooms. Look to your return. When you have finished your surgeon here on earth, when you finish your pilgrimage, when you return to your father's home, there in glory. Look, think of the mansion that he prepares for you. Think of the welcome that you will receive in the presence of angels and all the heavenly glory. And keep going. Keep looking. Whatever it is that the devil does to drag you back and to stop you here, keep looking. Just remember. Just focus. Remember, the father is there. He is waiting. Think of the father and the prodigal son. There the father waits. He is looking expectantly. Is my son coming? Is my daughter coming? But as he keeps looking, the son, the daughter is thinking, is my father there? Is he waiting? Is he looking? Yes, I know he is. Why? Because he has promised he will. I know he is true. He keeps to his word. So I'll keep going. And I'll keep thinking of the reception that I will receive when I get there. And oh, the fatted cow, remember, is waiting to be slaughtered for me so that there will be celebration and glory when I arrive. And that keeps us going. The Lord Jesus says, think of that. Keep thinking of it. Keep looking at that. Focus on that and look to heaven, to glory, where the Father is. That's where you're going. In Ephesians chapter 2. And there in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writing Ephesians 2 verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's who you are. Don't forget that. Remember who you are. And then writing to the Philippians, he says to them in chapter 3, and there in verse 20, Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 20, he says, For your citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord says, I have gone to heaven. I am going to my father's home. And there I will be preparing mansions for you. And to know your destiny. To know where you're going is a very great incentive. When you know what is there, you know the glory that awaits you. It is not only for the enjoyment of peace here on earth. When you know that, whatever else you may be going through here, you will say to yourself, it is worth the trouble. Because I know what awaits me on the other side. There is glory. There is honor. There is waiting. There is great and wonderful rejoicing. It is bliss that cannot be expressed in human terms. It awaits me. And there I look. And so it helps you to keep going and it gives you a sense of peace even in the midst of the troubles that you go through here on earth. But it also helps you to live a godly life. To live the life that God expects of you. Because you know that at the end he has promised not only to receive you but to bless you and to reward you beyond measure. Thirdly, so mansion, many mansions, but thirdly, mansion for you. Mansion for you. In verse 2, again, the second part of verse 2, the Lord says, I go 
to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And in verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. The Lord says, not only is there a place called heaven, he says, I am going there, and there are many mansions, many rooms there. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. That's why I'm leaving. That's why I'm going. To prepare a place for you. And as to the work that the Lord Jesus Christ is involved in preparation of these mansions for us, this only we know, that even the heavenly places had to be purified by the better sacrifices that he, the Lord of glory, was offering. This much we know. So in Hebrews, and there in chapter 9 and in verse 23, we're able to read, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with this, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than this. So that much we know of the work that the Lord Jesus Christ is involved in in heaven, in preparing these mansions for us. As God's new creation, because if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. As God's new creation, believers are being fitted for heaven. Just as Christ is preparing a place for each one of us there in heaven. While he's preparing a place, we are being fitted here on this side of eternity for that place. The place is being made ready. We are being made ready for that place where we will be going to. So just as we know, the Lord planted a garden in Eden, and then he planted the man, Adam, in Eden. And there, the Lord is preparing and planting a place for us in heaven and glory. And we are being prepared to be planted there when the Lord of glory comes to take his own, to be with him forever and ever. And in verse 3, then the Lord says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am there, you may be also. The Spirit is leading and guiding and working and preparing each and every true believer on this side of eternity here on earth. At the end, the Lord Jesus Christ himself says he will come and he will take us to be with him. And that is an amazing truth that we have here revealed by our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord says here very clearly, he is not going to send for us. No, he says he will come himself. The Lord says he will come. I will come in person and I'll come to take you, to conduct you to my father's house, to the place that I'm preparing for you. 
He is coming. These are the words of the Son of God himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. When I go and I prepare the place, he says, I will come again. And then I will take you. And there you will be with me. I come to take you into glory so that there you will be with me. Writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 16 to 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 to 18. The Apostle Paul writes very clearly. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, he says, comfort one another with these words. He is coming. He will come. He has promised so to do. And he will take his own to be with him there in glory forever and ever and ever. So that we will enjoy the glorious mansions that he is preparing for us even now. Let me now make just one or two observations. You see, sin has banished all true sense of comfort in our world. Any sense of solid joy has been banished from our world by sin. Because everything has been tainted by sin. And while God is excluded from us, while God is excluded from our lives, comfort is taken away from us. There is no comfort without the true and the living God, without the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Whatever thing, as an unbeliever, you might be thinking or regarding as your comfort, you know it vanishes. You know that when the real trying time comes, it does not hold. Whatever man may promise, whatever the world may promise, it doesn't hold when the real time of trial comes. And by nature, we are poor, comfortless, and troubled people. That's who we are by nature. Because it is in sin that we are conceived. It is in sin that we are brought forth. And while in sin, away from God, God removed from our lives, there is no real and genuine comfort. And there cannot be. Because the true and the living God, He is the God of comfort. And apart from Him, there is no genuine comfort. None whatsoever. And so, because we are poor, comfortless, and troubled people here in the world, we often seek for comfort in things around us. And as we do that, we always meet with painful disappointment. The arm of flesh will always fail us. The things of the world will always perish and vanish and disappear. No solid joy. No real standing comfort in the things of the world. But one ray, one ray of light from God's countenance. If only God were to look 
upon us in mercy. Just that ray of light from the countenance of the true and the living God will give us more solid joy, more solid comfort than all the things of the world can ever give to us. Just that ray of light from God's countenance, God's presence in our lives, that is what we need. And if we are to have that, we must learn to live then upon our God. For apart from him, there is no real, genuine, and lasting comfort here in this world. The Lord promises. He promises this comfort to those who will truly believe and trust in him. In Isaiah 66, and there in verse 13, he promises as one whom his mother comforts, so will I comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem, says the Lord. This is his word of promise. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul then writes to the Corinthians as he writes to us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us. He comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It is with the comfort with which we are comforted by God that we are now enabled to comfort those around us. But we must know that comfort first that comes from the true and the living God. And apart from it, there's no comfort. And we surely cannot comfort others. But when we have known the comfort that comes from God, when we have tested of that experience, then, says the apostle, we are able to comfort others, even as we have ourselves have been comforted with the comfort with which we have been comforted. In the second place, our God, as we have seen, is the God of all comfort. He is the God of all comfort. There is no other comfort. And he comforts us in all our trials. He is faithful. He has promised, and he does. He comforts us in all our trials, in all our tribulations, in all our sorrows, in all our mournings. He has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. He's always there, and he's always comforting us. And as the Lord's people, as true believers in our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as Christians who are God's people, we are troubled. We are troubled about so many things, and we are troubled about what is going on in our day, in our time. We're troubled about coronavirus. We're troubled about all the things that are happening all around us. And we do suffer, even as believers. We suffer aches, we suffer pains, we suffer all manner of diseases and attacks. And thank God that many are recovering. We praise God for that. But as believers, we suffer these things that everybody suffers. We go through all these things that many go through. We do mourn. We do sorrow, especially at the loss of loved ones. So these are things that we go through, even as believers, even as the Lord's people. 
that is what everybody goes through because of sin in our world. But on the other side, believers are mourners also because of the grace of God in their lives. We are mourners because of God's grace in our lives. And so, as believers, grace makes us mourn over the sins that we have committed. The grace of God in our lives makes us mourn over the depravity that is discovered in our members. Well, as we get to know, as we get to understand the, the depravity that works in us, we, we, the grace of God that is in us makes us mourn that that is taking place in our lives, in our members. And we do mourn over comforts that we have forfeited or lost because of sin because we have departed from the Lord. We mourn over the sins of others. We do mourn as true and genuine believers. At least we ought to. We mourn for the state of the church, the condition in which we see the church of our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, makes us mourn. We're troubled. We become anxious from time to time. We mourn for the salvation of family members as we call upon the name of the Lord and plead for their sakes. And we do mourn for the salvation of our neighbors, for the salvation of our friends, for the salvation of those we meet from time to time, especially those we are able to witness to. We yearn to see them come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we mourn, we weep, we cry out to the Lord. We mourn after Christ when we are separated from his love, usually because of our sin. But we also mourn over Christ for suffering in our place and on our behalf. And true believers do that. Mourning after Christ. When separated. Yearning for his presence. Yearning for the presence of the spirit. That we might feel and experience his presence. And his workings in our lives. So we yearn up. And we also mourn over Christ. Because of what he suffers in our place and on our behalf. But the Lord has said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is his promise. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the one who has healed, anointed and appointed as our comforter, the comforter of his people. While physically absent from us, he has told us he will send another comforter, the Holy Spirit. He will be with us and in us to comfort us, to encourage us. But he, the Lord of glory, is our comfort. He comforts his people. 
And he has promised to do just that. He comforts us by pardoning our sins. When we plead for forgiveness, he does comfort us in this way. He comforts us by subduing our iniquities. He comforts us by restoring the joy of our salvation to us. He comforts us by employing us in his service. There is something great and glorious and joyous in serving the Lord. When you are there witnessing for the Lord, serving him in whatever way he has called you to serve him, there is something joyful, so rewarding that you cannot express and you cannot explain. And the Lord comforts us in this way. He comforts us through his word, the preaching of his word. He comforts us by using his servants to bring his word to us. He comforts us by his Holy Spirit who takes of the word of the Son of God and applies it to our hearts. He comforts us. He ever lives to comfort us. Because he is a living God. Just as he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is always there comforting us. And if you will, if you will sincerely call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, even now, there in the state of your sin, indeed in the misery of your sin, if you will call upon him sincerely and honestly, he will hear you, he will answer you, and he will come into your life. And he will save you, and he will make you his own. And he has said clearly, and he has made it very clear and open in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Any who comes to him sincerely, honestly, and genuinely, the Lord Jesus has promised never to cast them out. He will never send them away. He will receive them. He will save them. He will make them his own. They will become his children partakers of the divine nature. They will become citizens of the kingdom of God. Heavenly citizens, they will become. And the hymn writer tells us that this salvation is without money. Come to Jesus Christ and buy. Without money. You don't need any money. You don't need any merits. You just need to come as you are. Just as I as you are, just as I am. Again, says another hymn. But here the hymn writer continues. He says, Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to fill your need for him. And this he gives you. It is the spirit's rising beam. That's all. Call on him. Come to him. He will hear and he will answer. And when you are truly saved, when you are truly born again, when you become a child of the living God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, then you will know that in the Father's great home, there is a place, there is a mansion prepared for you. When you come to know him as your Lord and Savior, just as he has promised, then you will come to know that there is a place, there is a mansion there being prepared in heaven just for you. 
But until then, so come to him. Call upon his name. And then you will know this truth, this reality in your life. And you experience it by faith in the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that that will be our portion, each and every one of us. That we will truly know him. And that we will know with certainty that he's gone to prepare a mansion for me, for you. Let us pray.